0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Fulfillment Podcast. We help discover a better you by finding fulfillment in life, relationships, and finance. I'm your host, Josh. In this episode, we are talking about the finance or business piece of this equation and this puzzle of life. But uh, So I get asked a lot of questions about real estate. And as you guys may know if you've been following me for a hot minute, um, that's one of my strong suits. That's something that I've been doing now uh, since, shit, I'll say since I got out of the divorce, which is about three and a half year, four years ago now. Um, so it's been a it's been a while, and it's been doing really really well for me. So of course naturally right, people find out, and they they ask a lot of questions. So I get a lot of repeat questions um, about kind of what I've done to be successful, uh, what's gotten me to where I am at. Um, obviously I don't have any massive multi-family complexes. That's kind of like a a five year goal or a three year goal if you will if you will. So it's in the pipeline. I'm setting myself up right now to be able to acquire that and do that. But Right now, real estate's doing well. It's gotten me to retire at the age of 28, and it's helped me kind of push myself to a level of securing um, a retirement for the future, a a nice, healthy retirement, and also kind of like build wealth as time goes. So a few common questions I wanted to go over here since you guys constantly ask them. Um, I want to just kind of like lay it all on the line, so that everybody kind of gets the same uh, treatment. And everybody kind of gets the same answers, because if it's helping one person, I'm sure there's a million other people out there that have the same question. So, figure we might as well just kind of get it out there for for the masses to hear. So, going through a few different questions, and if you guys want to, um, one I always get is like how to start buying a home and stuff. And I guess that's where we can start. Um and then I'll get into some of the questions. But if you guys are looking, now, keep in mind too, I'm not giving any like advice. This is just stuff that I've done. This isn't any like professional anything. Uh, I don't know if there needs to be a disclaimer or not, but let's hope that uh, that counts. <laughs> so uh, so this is just stuff that's worked for me, but people ask me, like, right, uh, how do you get started? like where do you where do you go? What do you need to do? Well, I'd say the first thing you need to do uh, is you need to look before anything, right? This is just from what I've done and things that I think would be great advice to give now. I um, I started off just going like ham banana. I, I say, I tell everybody that, that talks with me, you need to look at at least 10 different properties. You need to get an idea of what you're looking for, get a feel for what it's like going into a showing, um, identify what you like, what you don't like in realtors. So, you know, if, if the one realtor is just not vibing with you properly, if they're not moving quick enough, if they're not kind of hitting the right properties or whatever. Obviously, you give them a break on the first couple because they're kind of getting to know you and what you like. But after that, they should have a pretty good taste once you get to around three to five. They should have an idea of what it is that you're trying to go for. So try and get to, I say, at least 10 properties. I know um, talking with John Delago, he was in one of the past interviews. I know he did like, I think, like 20 properties or something like in a weekend. I, mean, I think he had ten lined up on one day, and then another ten lined up the next day. Like he did a lot, and uh, and you'll learn a lot, right? The whole focus is: is the more you do, the more you get in there, the more you'll learn. So that's that's definitely something big that I highly encourage people to do: is get in there, dive in, get to know what you like, what you don't like about real estate, learn kind of like the little quirks, the ins and outs. Um, you'll, you'll get a feel for if you're looking to like live in the home You'll get a feel for what homes are that you like if you're trying to find something as an investment property Then you'll get a taste for what kind of investment properties you like and what what things you want to look for in investment properties um, There can be different realtors. that will help you out with different things. Um, I have like three different realtors that I use I have one that's strictly for just investment property. He doesn't mind throwing out like low ball offers and we just, you know, throw out a bunch of them and eventually, you know, one or two stick. So I have somebody that's really, really good at doing that stuff. I have somebody that's really good at like kind of looking at places that I would actually want to live. She knows kind of what I'm looking for in like places that I'd like to set up. So any place that I've lived in, I've always gone to her and she's been very like understanding. She knows really, really well, like what would make a good spot for me. And, and that's good because they have different specialties, right? They're, they're looking for different things. And then I have somebody that can just sell shit quick. Like if I need to get out of a property, that thing will be sold in a day or two. They know the market down to the thumb, like they know it verbatim, exactly what needs to happen. So it's, it's good to get a feel for what people are good at. And don't be afraid to have different realtors in your pocket for different things, right? And you can be open with everybody. Sometimes there's um, not non-compete, but they'll have you sign an agreement pretty much saying you're only going to work with them on, we'll say a specific property or for a specific window of time. Um, sometimes that gets into like state law and stuff, but, uh, I always make it a contingent like, Hey, I'll work with you on this property. That's what I'll sign it for. I'll be just, just with you on this piece of real estate. Cause sometimes the state requires you to sign an agreement saying this is the, the attorney or this is the, the agent that is representing you in this purchase. So, th- so that's fine, right? You just don't want to lock yourself into only being able to talk with one person. So, I'm very open with my agents. I tell them, hey, you know, I'm looking for this, this, and this. Just so you know, like I've, I've got other people, and and I don't like to like cross swords and stuff. I'm just very open with them, and I think everybody understands that. And there's there's a very good understanding and level of respect. Like, hey, I'll come to you on this piece of real estate, but on this one, you know, I have somebody else that's going to handle it. And as long as you're up front with people, generally, that's a pretty good rule of thumb. But find people. That do what you like and don't be afraid to go to someone new, right? Just just be upfront, and if they try and get you to sign one of those things, just tell them like, hey, understand, I'm happy to go with you on this piece of real estate if you're going to put in an offer on a property. But if they're just taking you to showings, don't feel like you have to sign anything. You shouldn't have to. And if they're if they're going to make you, then uh, that's not really somebody you want to work with, right? You want somebody that's going to earn your trust, earn your business and be there to help you and not try and just like lock you in so that they know you got gotcha. you. So kind of just a couple, couple easy things, right, to keep your, uh, your eyes out for. Um, but another, the, one of the big ones that I get asked to is the, uh, where, do, where do you buy real estate? Where's good to buy, right? Some people always, it seems like their first house they're trying to buy it and they're like neighborhood that they grew up in. It's like, no, you gotta stop. One of my biggest rules of thumb, especially if we're talking investment, real estate is you need to buy it, buy something that you can't take away. You can always take an economy away. you can always take businesses away. You can always do things like that. But you can't take lakes away. You can't take oceans away. You can't take mountains away, right? Those kind of features will constantly be bringing like tourism. They'll constantly be bringing like a, a new rollover of tenants and people that are constantly moving in and out of the area. Um, you're gonna—it's—it's a—it's a lot more foot traffic. Another big one is military bases. If you live in a place where I live, I've got three different military bases. So the amount of people that are always coming here is unreal, right? So it—it it, it keeps the market very hot. It keeps the market constantly rotating, especially with the amount of people that are in and out within every you know three years. They're leaving. They're coming and going. Like there's just massive turnover constantly. So it's—it's it's very good for the real estate market, which is a, a big key right? So you look at states like Texas, states like Colorado, um, a lot of southern states, Georgia's got a few different military bases, um, things like that, right? Those are places that I would recommend. And again, staying towards like coastlines, bases that are near coastlines or mountain features or something like that, that you can't take away. That's the prime type of real estate. That's the stuff you really want to lean heavy on. Um, there's a couple states I would absolutely not buy investment real estate. And I know people that have in uh, in some of these states, but Um, New York and California, I think are dead. I I will never purchase real estate in either of those states. Taxes are out of control. None of the rules or regulations or laws protect the owner of the property. If you're renting the property, using it as an income property, it's everything goes to protect the renter and it completely leaves you blindsided. It can, it can roll you over and leave you high and dry in an instant. So I, I definitely encourage people to stay away. Now, obviously if you're from one of those states, and you have a little bit of tie there, you have some intrinsic value in real estate being in those places, that's different. But I personally will will not, I, I don't have any tie to either one of those states. There's no reason for me to wanna to go back to them. They're absolutely outrageous when it comes to protecting an owner. So uh, that's, that's nothing that I'm gonna be leaning towards. So like I said, rule of thumb, stick towards things that you can't take away. Can't take away military bases They keep good turnover. Um, can't take away mountains, can't take away lakes, can't take away oceans. Right. So those are, those are big, big points. What's the first thing you need to do. If you're looking at purchasing, purchasing a house, uh, the first thing you definitely want to look at is why I tell everybody, I was like, go get pre-approved, just go get pre-approved. It doesn't take much. All you got to do is you go to a bank, a lender, um, whoever it is that you're going to work with. Typically, I just, I mean, you can go online, you can literally Google search, uh, whoever it is just, you know, like, uh, we'll say home loans or mortgages or whatever. Right. And you can literally just go on the list. And it doesn't hurt. You can just call people and be like, hey, do you do home mortgages? This is what I'm looking for. And typically they'll be like, yeah, absolutely. And they'll just have to do uh, – typically what they'll do is they'll check your tax forms. If you have like a W-2 income or 1099 or whatever, they'll ask you to send what they have typically for the last year. If it's W-2, uh, last couple of years if your 1099, the contracted employee. And they'll they'll go through that. And then what they'll do is um, most likely they'll, they'll run your credit – just to make sure that you can you can match that and you're, you're fine. And then they'll approve you for the loan. Uh, and then what that does is that pre-approval will just say, this is how much you're pre-approved for. You can buy a house valued at X number of dollars. So it makes it easier when you're talking with a real estate agent, you kind of know what your budget is. You know what to keep it in and what you're actually looking for. So you're not going to look at a million dollar property when you can really only afford something that's like 200,000. Right? So Make sure you go you get that pre-approval letter you take it with your realtor so you know what your budget is it'll give you a really good idea of kind of like what lane you want to stay in so that's if you're looking at purchasing a house so do that get your pre-approval talk to your realtor start looking at properties okay this is like the one two three it's that easy and then if you do find a house that you really really like and it's good then you have your pre-approval you just submit an offer the realtor will send it to you it should be very very easy Everything's electronic now. It makes it very simple. You can sign it from anywhere. Um, they'll send you a document. You'll be able to just look through it if it's a good realtor. They should be able to coach you through at least the first time that you go through it. Don't be afraid to just put an offer in and just just throw it in there. Um, I know in the market I'm in, I submitted eight offers before I got my very first house. Eight offers. I came in right at asking price, and people constantly were outbidding me. So I submitted eight offers. So I got very, very, very used to as soon as I saw a house. We, we wrote an offer and we threw one in immediately, as quickly as we possibly could in order to get to it. So we got very, very good, and I got very used to understanding kind of like what I was looking for. So that's that's the power of repetitions, right? That's what the power of looking at multiple homes and, and not being afraid to put an offer in. That's what it'll do for you. A good realtor will constantly be looking out for you, right? They're, they're in, there's a buyer realtor and a seller realtor, so whoever's selling will – typically work with your realtor and they'll, they'll do the negotiating piece and they'll kind of do the cross communicating, but your realtor should be looking for you kind of like a lawyer, right? They're, they're working in your best interest. Same thing with your realtor, your realtor should be looking in your best interest. So when you're going to buy the house, um, there's, there's usually multiple ways out. Obviously it varies across states, but there's always different points in which you can back out of the deal. So just because you have an offer in and you're under contract doesn't mean you're obligated to buy the home. There's typically multiple ways. One of the most common ones is an inspection. If there's something you just don't like about it or it comes back not good, uh, some people use it to lower their ass or their their price, their offer, and some people use it as the point to back out if they're nervous or whatever about it. So don't be afraid. Just because you put an offer in doesn't mean you're locked in and you have to buy the house. Good realtors be able to help you out there. Um, okay, so let's get into the investment side. So that can go either way, right? All the stuff that we just talked about can go for either a personal home or an investment property. Let's talk investment properties. Um, most people ask, well, I guess this goes both ways too, so we'll stand by on that. But some uh, one of the next questions I have here is, what's the lowest down payment percentage you'd put down on a house? So there's there's very different things. Uh, investment real estate typically is 20% or or more, uh, depending on kind of like what you're doing, but it's typically 20% for an investment piece of real estate on a conventional uh, mortgage or a conventional loan for investment real estate. Um, you can use hard money and stuff and that gets into a little bit rabbit hole. That's another episode that we'll talk about, but you can do, if you're doing residential, which means, uh, it's a residential property. So it's not used for any sort of commercial purposes. And you're going to use it as your primary residence, which means you are going to be the person moving into the house and living there. The person applying for the mortgage is going to be the one living in the house. If you're going to use it as your primary residence, that's good. It gives you some leeway because that's saying that you're not going to use it as an investment property, which statistically um, foreclose on less, right? People are going to save their money for the house that they live in before, you know, that goes under. They're not, they're going to let their investment real estate go under before their house that they're actually living in. So there's, there's, they, you can get away with a lot more when you're talking with a bank. Um, so with that being said, when you do go through it and you're looking at a down payment, typically 5%. So I tell everybody, this is my advice. I say, and this is what, this is what I practice. This is what I do. I put down as little as possible. If you have a, um, typically conventional mortgage, you can get away five to three and a half percent is like the lowest amount you can get away with. You have to be qualified for it. Sometimes typically that's where like a good credit score and stuff can come in, but three and a half percent sometimes is like the lowest that you can possibly put down on a piece of real estate. Now, if you have a VA loan, if you're a veteran, and you can use a VA loan that is zero percent. You can literally put zero percent out of pocket to purchase uh, property, which is insane, right? Super, super, super powerful. That's why anybody that has a VA loan, I think, needs to have a house, absolutely, no matter what. I, I obviously would recommend using it for a certain uh, for in- income, but that's that's definitely not what it's intended for. But, uh, but you, but you need to start accruing the, the real estate and at least live in it for a year before you move out. And then you can start using that to start cash flowing for you, but at least start getting something to start building some value for you, right? Cause it's only going to go up in value, which means later on down the road, you can pull out the equity. You can use that money towards another piece of real estate. So there's a lot of power in that. So use, use that if you have the ability, but I always say, put the least amount of money you can down because you want to maintain your leverage. Your leverage is your cash. If you spend all your cash, you're locking it away inside the property, which means you can't use it. So if I have fifty thousand dollars and I use it to purchase real estate, now I can't use that fifty thousand dollars. It's it's locked away in my home. The only way I can get that money out is I have to sell the home. So you you want to try and retain as much as that as possible. Because if I go and buy a house and I keep my fifty thousand, or let's say I put uh, I put ten ten thousand in. And that house now has $10,000 in it that I put in it. I still have $40,000. So I could technically go repeat that same process four more times and buy four more pieces of property, right? Just given a super simple example, but that's the power of maintaining your cash and keeping it. And that's why I say put as little as you possibly can into the real estate. It gives you more buying power and allows you to continue to expand a lot faster than you would if you were trying to pack everything away. So that's the way I approach it. Um, Okay, let's go on to the next one here. Do the banks need to know if you're using them as rentals, Airbnb, or income properties? So, no. So, banks don't necessarily need to know that you'll do that when you go forward with your, um, if you're using it as like an investment piece of real estate, that's something that you'll be talking about because it's not going to be your primary residence. But if you're using it as an Airbnb and say... Um, you're living in the house, you know, a certain amount of time, there's Airbnb in and out here and there, then, then no, you, you definitely don't have to disclose that. Um, it kind of gets into like some moral code sometimes, but uh, Airbnb is designed as you own the home, you live in the home and you rent it when you're on vacation to somebody else. Right. If that's, if that's how you're using it, then you can. VA um, mortgages require you to live in the house for 180 days. I think it's six, six months. And then, uh, and then you can move out. Or whatever so there, there are some like things you just have to make sure uh, again your real estate agent should be able to help you with this but uh, your mortgage your lender right your loan officer should also be able to answer all these kind of questions for you too but it's going to be specific on kind of like what your situation is if you're buying a duplex you can live in one half and rent the other half out the bank doesn't need to know that nobody really cares but you know I guess I, it's kind of getting into the question but um, that's something that you can definitely look at and consider, and that's always what I would recommend as somebody that's trying to do something for their first home. Uh, If you wanted to get into a good strategy for your first buy, it would be look at doing something with two units, either a front house and a back uh, ADU or an accessory dwelling unit or a duplex, which is one house, but it's got like two sides to it or two floors or something, right? Something dividing them giving you two units. So basically you rent one out, they pay the mortgage for the whole house and you live in the other side for free. That's kind of the idea. That's what they call house hacking. It's kind of the idea behind that. So it's it's really uh, a nifty way and that's definitely what I recommend anybody's anybody that's trying to get into kind of like investment real estate for the first place and they're looking to live in it too, look for something with two units that allows you kind of more flexibility and the ability to bring in some additional income, right? To kind of pay for it. Imagine living in a place and not having to pay rent, right? It's kind of cool. So. That's the idea behind that. Um, next question here, what is your general strategy for the short term? What is your strategy for long term? Okay, kind of a good question. So what I do when I'm looking at investment real estate is typically within, there's, there's kind of like a, there's a one year strategy, a three year strategy, and then a three year and above strategy. Uh, the one year strategy is always cover the mortgage, okay? Cover the mortgage and try and hit 1%. I always try and hit the 1% rule. If you guys don't know what the 1% rule is, what it is, is 1% of the purchase price is made in rent every month, okay? So 1% of the purchase price is made in rent every month. Let's say you buy a $300,000 home. That means you will have to rent that place out for $3,000 a month. Now, that's typically the way I look at it, if it's a good buy or not. So if you are looking to buy in a neighborhood where the max rent in that neighborhoods is $1000 and you're looking at buying a $300,000 house, it's going to be very 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 hard for you to hit that 1% rule. Does that make sense? It's kind of it's it's the simplest way I can say look at if property is going to be worth as an investment piece of real estate. If it if it doesn't hit that 1% rule, then it's not going to be very easy to do and, it, and that's a very easy way to figure it out. All you have to do, just go on like Zillow and check the rental side of things. And it'll show you kind of what comparing rental rates are going for property in that area. And if it's nowhere near what your 1% rule needs to be, then it's probably not somewhere that you need to buy. And here's, so there's kind of a way to get around that. And this is what I typically use. This is how I started my, um, my Airbnb property management company is within the first year, I'd say first one to three years, what you do is you short-term rent the property. So that means you furnish it, you put all your stuff in it, and you list it on like Airbnb, VRBO, HomeAway, TripAdvisor, all those sites, right? You put it on and you start using it a short-term rental because people are going to pay more. right? You're going to make more money using a short-term rental than you would signing a long-term lease. So typically within the first couple of years, in order to hit that 1%, if it's not, if it's in a desirable neighborhood, but maybe it's not going to hit that, that 1% rule, then putting it on Airbnb or something in those regards, right? A short-term rental, then you can typically hit that 1% rule a lot easier, right? So my first home, I bought it for right around, uh, what was it? 250000 Well, hitting 250000 was kind of high that first year that I bought it. That wasn't really something that was super easy to do. So it was, it was going to rent for around $1,200. So it was about half, right? Half of what I needed to do. So what I did was I furnished it. I listed it on Airbnb. And then I was able to make that difference, right? I made on average like $3,000 a month. So I was able to clear that 1% rule. Now what happens is as time goes on, as you hold the mortgage for longer and longer and longer, what happens is that mortgage stays level and you keep paying the same amount every month, but rent prices will go up. As long as everything continues to appreciate and and dollars are worth more and your area is growing, then your uh, your rent prices will continue to grow. So that becomes easier and easier to hit the one percent rule. I always say you should be able to hit the one percent rule um, within three years. If you're in a good market in a good a good area, you should be able to hit the one percent rule within three years. Signing a long-term lease. Now, it's it's stretching it. It's kind of rough, but that's what I'm saying. That's that's what qualifies a very good piece of investment real estate is if you can hit that number so always kind of keep that in the back of your mind for me the one percent rule is a very important important ratio It comes into more specifics when we start talking about multifamily and stuff with the debt to service ratio so there's something called the dscr it's the debt to service coverage ratio and what that is is it tells you how much you're paying so like if your mortgage is a thousand dollars so you have to pay a thousand dollars for your mortgage every month but the house is bringing in two thousand dollars then your debt to service coverage ratio is two times you're making two times what you're obligated to pay so you're you're netting 100 percent of whatever uh, it is that you need to come out with right so the debt service coverage ratio gets into more complex stuff but that's how i personally qualify real estate but an easy way to do that just look at the one percent rule whatever your purchase price is move the decimal place and the 1% of that purchase price is what you should be able to collect on that property. That's always the goal. So I use, I will use short-term rental strategies within the first few years, but after three years, you should be able to do that on a long-term lease. All right. So that's, that's a pretty cool way of hitting it. And then after three years, three to five years, you should be able to do long-term leases. Cool thing about long-term leases is they typically require less effort. So you put less into the property. Whereas if you're short-term renting it, You have to constantly be turning over sheets. You got to have a cleaning crew. You got to be fixing stuff with a maintenance crew all the time. Um, There's a lot more wear not, not necessarily like wear and tear, but there's a lot more involvement that you do on the regular. So I definitely do that in the early stages. And then later on, if you can transition to a long-term rent, then it's going to be a lot more, uh, a lot less labor intensive, we'll say. Um, Okay. Let's move on to the next one here. Uh, how do you approach Airbnb night costs or monthly rent amount for renters? So that's definitely determined by the market. Okay. So what you're going to rent your place for when we're talking about Airbnb strategies and short-term strategies, that's going to be determined by the market that you're in. Uh, some places will say like Wichita, Kansas probably is not going to be pulling as much as New York city, New York, Denver, Colorado, uh, or Houston, Texas, or Miami, Florida. Right, those places are probably going to be pulling more than what some place in Kansas or Nebraska, right, are going to be making. So it's definitely, <coughs> excuse me, um, it's definitely dependent on the market that you're looking in. So that's why I say, right, that's that's why I always say, buy in places where you have things you can't take away. You have the mountains, you have the lakes, you have the oceans. You know, you, you're buying real estate in Hawaii is going to be a lot more valuable than buying something in Omaha, Nebraska. Right. So think with that mindset and keep that constantly kind of rotating through your head. Now, another piece, um, something else, I guess, that I always like to keep in mind. And Grant Cardone says this, I kind of got it from him, but he says, don't buy in places that you're not familiar with. Everybody's the most familiar with their own backyard. Basically saying where you live is where you're the most familiar with. And that's true for me, right? I live and uh, a very rapidly growing city. I love where I'm at. <clears throat> and I know my city very, very well. I know the I know the neighborhoods. I know the market. I know everything that's going on here very, very, very well. So with that being said, I like buying here because I know it so well, right? I can constantly be checking and going around and, and seeing new places and stuff here. But I'm not going to say uh, I don't necessarily know the market in Miami, Florida. While I think that's a good market to buy in, right, because it, it crosses that very first rule of mine, um, I think it's a good market. I just don't know it. So unless I was there and spent maybe some time, a few days on the ground and kind of got to know a little bit of the city and the layout and kind of like what's desirable and what isn't, um, I, I wouldn't be really well versed to be investing in real estate there. Unless I was you know working with somebody they knew the market there and, and they could you know make these kind of decisions, I wouldn't be doing so. So if you do live in a place that necessarily isn't uh, doing very well, then do kind of like what I recommended earlier and do the uh, do like a duplex or something in a city that maybe is a little bit more desirable for you. Or move in and do sign a short lease, sign a three-month lease or a six-month lease or something and live somewhere for a few months to get a feel for the area and then move out after that so that you get a better taste of kind of like what you like, what you don't like, the neighborhoods, all that kind of stuff before you decide to purchase in that area. So if you if you think Miami, Florida would be a good place to go, Go sign a, a short lease there. I mean, you know, if you have to do a year, but six months, three months, something like that. Live, check out the places, and then after that period of time, be ready to purchase something and, and go in from there. So that that's a really good strategy as to how to learn a market before you actually live there. Make it your backyard if you don't have that. And then and then get very used to it and and understand the market there. So this is kind of <laughs> this is kind of real estate one oh one, if you will. Um, if you guys have more questions, I, I constantly get some, um, get questions and stuff all the time. So as you guys have them, please, I, I just, what I'm doing is I just make a list. And then, um, I had somebody ask me to start doing podcasts on them. So I figured, you know what, why not? So I wanted to put this episode out there to help you guys a little bit. For those of you that guys have questions and want to kind of start unraveling and unpacking a little bit of what's going on in your head. Um, definitely, definitely. I I highly recommend it. It's what I do. Um, I've retired myself, like I said, at the age of 28. Um, definitely helping my parents to try and retire as well. Um, but it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. I was talking with um, John DeLago, who I did one of those interviews with. And John and I, every time we get on the phone, we talk about real estate and we just go on and on and on. And it's a lot of fun. We get super jazzed because we just get super excited about all these projects. But Ask me some more questions if you guys have more stuff. There's a lot more to dive into. This first 30 minutes is absolutely like nothing in terms of like the whole game. So there is so much more that can be covered and, uh, and that we can go into. And maybe I'll just keep doing, you know, tiny little episodes like here and there like this uh, as you guys ask more questions and as I kind of like think stuff and, and write it down. Um, we can talk about different methods if you don't have great credit score. We can talk about if you don't have a lot of cash. We can talk about... You know just all sorts of different things if you're buying if you're selling um what hard money is you know like how to do renovation strategies there's something called the burr method for investment in real estate that's buy rehab rent repeat so that's basically buying a place making it super nice putting a renter in there and then doing it all up pulling the cash out and doing it all over again so that's that's a way and that's that's what we do Um, With my company, we purchased real estate, and that's exactly how we do it, right? We rehab the property, we get renters in, and then we pull the cash out, we pull the equity out from the the nice fixes and all the nice stuff that we just did. And then we repeat the method on another piece of real estate, and you just keep growing and growing and growing um, and eventually working your way up, right? The goal is to get into multifamily where we're doing like apartment complexes and stuff. So there's a lot of really cool methods and stuff, a lot of cool tax benefits when we talk about 1031ing into another piece of real estate basically like foregoing taxes that you'd have to pay on the money as capital gains and just putting it into more real estate so a lot of very 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 effective strategies a lot of good methods um one of the first guys that i brought on actually has a mortgage company um mike c rock if you guys go back through the interviews he's somewhere like in the 20s or 30s of episodes and he talks a little bit about some of the stuff he does that so he would be a good resource to use if you had questions feel free to reach out to him i think it's at mikey rock on instagram um but other than that yeah like always guys feel free to hit me up hit me up on uh, at fulfillment underscore podcast if you're looking on instagram let me know some feedback let me know some questions you guys have and i'll just keep track of them and write them down and uh, maybe we can do another episode like this. I can maybe think about bringing on some uh, some people that are more well versed. Maybe I'll bring on some partners. Um, we we'll see. We can talk from there. But thank you guys so much for tuning in. I hope this guy this helps you guys. I hope this helps you buy your first piece of real estate if you're looking at that. Um, yeah, and I, you guys get out there and crush it. You know, we're all here to help each other. So by helping one person, I think uh, I think we've got a million other people asking the same questions. So hopefully this helps you guys. Other than that, we'll see you guys in the next one. See ya.